1: Welcome to the Out of Water Podcast. My name is Sam Kasten-Smith, and I will be your host today on the Out of Water Podcast. Joining me today, as he used to, is Will Bushman, who is our Director of Student Ministries. Thanks for having me for my annual fill-in. I didn't do this since (laughs) last June, so my time was coming. So today, Mark is under the weather, which means I'm in charge of technology, (laughs) which means this this is strange. So to give you a mental picture... Will and I are sharing a microphone. This is like a, a picture out of the – what is it? The Hound and the Tramp. What's that show called? Disney show. The Lady and the Tramp. The Lady and the Tramp where they're both like leaning in with one piece of spaghetti. We're sharing a microphone, kind of seesawing back and forth as we're talking. Just looking uh, each other in the eyeballs. <laughs> it's a little awkward. But uh, this is as good as it's going to get when I'm in charge of technology and Mark is not with us today. So we are continuing, actually, in a series on the gospel of Mark. We're in chapter, chapter two today, and there are a number of uh, really fascinating stories uh, picking up here. And Last week, we covered Mark chapter one, and in our series in the church, we're calling this the identity of Jesus. And part of the reason for that is like right out of the gates, Mark tells you that Jesus is the Christ, he's the Messiah, he's the anointed one, the coming king, he's called the Son of God. Um, and right out of the gates, Mark is wanting you to understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that the Old Testament had been promised. promising. He's baptized and he's going to be tempted. And where every person who's come before him failed to withstand the temptations of this world... Jesus will prove to be righteous. He stands, and he does things that no other human being had done before. So, for example, the man with the unclean spirit comes into the synagogue. Well, back in the ancient day, the unholy were to be kept out of the holy places, but now with Jesus' ministry, when the unholy come into the presence of the holy, they're healed. Uh, He heals the the leper, and so, remember, the leper touches him, and the way that humanity works, we usually impute our bad stuff. So, if I'm sick, I can get you sick, but I can't give you my wellness, (laughs) you know, I can't make you well because I'm well. But Jesus touches the leper, which would have been really scandalous and shocking in that day and age, and instead of contracting the skin disease, he imputes his health into the leper. So here we we're meeting this man, God in the flesh, who's doing everything different than the world had ever seen. And he's preaching with authority. He's preaching as though he is God himself. And so when we get to chapter 2, the first story that jumps out is the story of Jesus healing a paralytic and he's going to announce that he has authority to forgive sins.
0: Yeah, I just love how Mark it just gets going so fast it seems. Like, you know, it's not there's no intro to this. It's like temptation, let's get the crowds going, you know, paralytics, lepers everywhere. There's no no wasted space in Mark's gospel. Yeah,
1: I like I like reading like books with quotes in them, like bullet point kind of writing. Mark is like let's just get to it. Let's just get to it. And so jumping in, I'm gonna read, you know, a few verses at a time as we go here. Uh, And it says in Mark chapter 2, when he returned to Capernaum, Capernaum is a a small little town that's on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee, Um, this would have been kind of home turf for Jesus. He does 70% of the gospel ministry in the region of Galilee. And so he comes to Capernaum after some days, and it was reported that he was at home. And so, of course, everybody's heard that he heals, that there's this prophet that has amazing healing, and so... Many were gathered together so that there was no more room for them, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And if you ever i have been to Capernaum twice, uh, Will, you've been to Israel. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. And you can look and you can see the ruins of ancient Capernaum and you get a sense of the size of their houses and they're small. So this isn't a mass gathering. It's not an auditorium. There may have been 40 or 50 people, maybe, that could have gotten into this house. And so it would have been super crowded, and then we're told this pretty wild story. It says, They came bringing to him a paralytic man, a paralyzed man, and he's carried by four men. When they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay." And so you got to uh, imagine this scene. This would have been pretty wild. I want you to imagine, like, even as we're podcasting, if the roof started crumbling in on us, I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) Like, this would have been a wild scene. And so let me explain what a house would have looked like. So one of the things we learned from going to Capernaum and digging up the ruins is that you had a house with all these rooms on the inside. But the outside wall of the house had a stairway that would go up the side of the house. And lead you to the roof. And the reason for that is at, in evenings, uh, you're on the Sea of Galilee. There's nice breezes that go up. And so people would actually live up on their roof to get out of the heat, to look up at the stars, to enjoy the evening. And so you would go up there and they actually, on top of their roof, they would lay beams and thatch and then cover that with like dirt and sod. And you'd be walking on what looked like ground. And so they go up. Onto the roof because they can't get to Jesus through the door. The crowd is, you know, not only filling the house, but pouring out into the streets. So they climb up on top of the roof and they're literally digging into the grass and dirt and wooden beams and everything else. And so if you're inside the house, all of this is falling on you, (laughs) which would have been pretty wild. But these people, these four friends are so absolutely determined to get their friend into the presence of Jesus that they're doing this. Do you think – I've always wondered because it says four
0: men. Do you think they were friends? Because we always make them friends and this is a friend thing to do. Yeah, I mean d- – But it's just like they they are showing that they're friends. So we call them yeah. friends. You know, probably not four randos I mean, just I walking get, up, picking up a guy. <laughs> I've just always wondered because we – it is a friendly thing to do
1: obviously and they care about this guy. But we always make it a friend where sometimes yeah. I'm like, oh. I guess – what I mean unless it's a prank like yeah. we're going to lower you down and you can't do anything about it. Like – yeah, I guess You'll be embarrassed. paralytic could have voiced his concerns <laughs> if four guys picked him up and took him somewhere. Yeah, so I mean the crazy thing about this is they're destroying someone else's property. Like we f- we forget that. This is someone's home. So yeah. imagine like if, if I had a home church or something and somebody <laughs> starts digging through my roof because they want to hear the sermon or whatever. Yeah, in the middle of your sermon too. <laughs> Think about how quiet a sermon is yeah. in our world. <laughs> this would have been like outrageously <laughs> – Outrageously shocking, and what's funny to me is the first words of Jesus. Like, if you're imagining, what would the first words be? Like, if somebody starts digging through your roof when you're in the middle of a, a service, a yeah. preaching service. I mean, it's vandalism at its finest. <laughs> but what, like, what would you say? What's your word going to be? Oof, one, I. What are you I, doing?
0: I, yeah, I'd be. I don't know what I, if I would say anything. I'd be so shocked. That would be such a shocking event to take yeah. place.
1: Yeah, I'm sure the other people are probably yelling things. And The first word Jesus says, this is fascinating to me. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Wow. And that's always blown my mind. It's not, what are you doing? Stop doing that. You're destroying property. He sees the, the extreme nature of their faith, that yeah. they're that desperate to get to him. He doesn't rebuke them. He takes them as they come. In the middle of destroying someone else's property, and he probably could have stopped them. Right, this would like uh, once yeah. a couple things a dirt yeah.
0: fell would be somebody go outside and check <laughs> yeah. out what's going on upstairs. Like yeah. he's not sending people out being like, "Hey, go
1: stop those guys." <laughs> but I love that his heart, like yeah. his heart, is not to rebuke how they come. No, his heart is. Your sins are forgiven. Yeah. And that says something to me about the nature of our God, that when you come to him, you know, you come upside down or, you know, all kinds of messy or maybe not in the way you should. And yet his heart is still to meet them as they're coming and to say, your sins are forgiven. Yeah. And and that family term, son, it's not like a yeah. like friend or something outside. It's like you're in already. Yeah. I mean, this is really pretty amazing. And it just goes to show, like when I came to Jesus... I was, I was a mess, you know, and I wasn't walking away from all of the behaviors that made me a mess, but I wanted him. Yeah. And so, you know, I was coming through all kinds of mess and Jesus didn't say, hey, go get yourself cleaned up and come to me the proper way, <laughs> you know, and you think about it. Why didn't Jesus say, hey, guys, wait a minute, you know, I'll, I'll meet you after the service. <laughs> yeah, I'll kick these guys out right now. Don't yeah. destroy the roof. But instead, he, he meets them where they are. He sees their zeal to get this paralyzed man in front of him and he meets them and he answers a request that they're not asking for, which is interesting. Um, and he kind of takes on all their, you know, it's interesting
0: the story because the four guys, they're the ones getting their hands literally dirty. I mean, they're digging in and Jesus and the crowd is getting probably dirty from the excess. So it's just a, this, this picture is coming to mind that Jesus is just dirt falling on his face. You're imagining that. These guys' hands are like, oh, looking down to see if they did it right. And everyone's <laughs> dirty but the paralytic who yeah. is
1: who's being forgiven and healed and everything. It's just yeah. a beautiful picture of that. Yeah, The go- gospel ministry is messy. Yeah. Um, and I, one of the other things that I, that I do love about this, I remember I was doing a funeral for somebody a long time ago, and Dr. Gage pointed out to me that this passage – is actually a really great passage for a funeral cuz you got to imagine when you go up onto the roof of a first century home it looks like the ground there's there's dirt up there there's grass up there it would have felt like you were walking around in a field and so what are they doing they're taking a man who is motionless he's lost the use of his body he looks i mean apart from his ability to speak and open his eyes he's yeah, dead right a he's a corpse and so get this picture these guys are digging a hole in the earth, and they take him, one from each corner of a mat, and they lower him down into the hole. It feels like a graveside service. Wow, Yeah, And so they're taking this man whose body is dead, paralyzed, and they're lowering him like pallbearers down mm. into the earth to the one who raises the dead. Wow. And so the rich, you know, they were buried in tombs, but a lot of the poor were buried into the earth like this. And so I think we're invited to see a picture of that this isn't just a story of Jesus healing a man who's paralyzed, but it's a picture for each of us that, you know, we are dead. And, you know, here you have these friends that are lowering their friend into the earth and the friend is not lost in the earth. He's going to meet the one who raises the dead. And so for us, you know, when you say goodbye, I can tell you having done funerals, the saddest part of the funeral is when if it's a if it's a coffin funeral the saddest part is lowering the body into the earth where there's the sense that this is the final goodbye hmm. and what a comfort to be able to have that imagination of faith that you're lowering this dead person down to the lord who raises the dead and i just i've always loved that picture yeah, Jesus cares about
0: this guy's soul more than his physical bodies. I mean, if you, I mean, I'm thinking about it. if I walked my paralyzed friend to Jesus, I don't think the first words I want to hear out of his mouth are, Your sins are forgiven. Yeah. Right? I want to go to the end of this story first, and then maybe we'll backtrack to my soul, Jesus, once you figure out this whole body, this whole earthly thing. So, you know, yeah, Jesus cares more about his soul being, was dead and now is alive due to sin and, and his mm-hmm. healing. So it just, yeah, well, wow, yeah.
1: grapes. And I love, yeah, and I love this. This story is such a beautiful picture of prayer. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, here you have these four guys who care enough about this man that they're going to do whatever it takes to carry his plea, his body, his, you know, paralysis into the presence of the only one who can save him, the only one who can heal him. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot like prayer. You know, you you think about carrying the needs of someone else who's incapable of helping themselves and presenting them before the Lord. Mm -hmm. And a lot like prayer, you know, there's so many times where we pray, you know, God, I want you to heal me of this situation or I want you to fix this circumstance. And just like Jesus does here, you know, they're coming and saying, hey, we've got a paralyzed friend. (laughs) We would like for him to be able to walk and move his arms and legs again. And Jesus answers their petition, even though they don't even get a chance to get words out of their mouth. He answers them with something like you said. They're 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 not wanting to hear. Your sins are forgiven. Like no, I want them to move. Yeah, legs. <laughs> yeah, legs. What's legs go? would be good. And that's how Jesus works, man. So many times he answers. He answers our prayers in ways that we don't anticipate, and I'm grateful for that because Jesus looks at this paralyzed man and he sees an even greater need, and he answers that first. And that's how he works. Yeah, I think it's a beautiful picture of prayer. If I imagine when I pray for someone, even
0: our our Tuesday prayers as a group, as a staff, when we're coming Mm -hmm. forward just with names of people and just everything going on in their lives. If I imagine that more as me walking someone who has no ability to get there by themselves to the feet of Jesus, I think I would pray a lot more. (laughs) Like I think it would be like, oh, this this matters. Like this is is the only thing that matters. Mm -hmm. It's the only thing that mattered to them that day. It should be – Maybe not the only thing that matters, you know. Life, must, you know, but in this way, like that's
1: how we get our f- friends to Jesus. Yeah. I love since since Tuesday morning's prayer, like when when I'm lifting other people in prayer, that idea of imagining that you're you're bringing them, you're lowering them into the presence of Jesus and saying, "God, will you heal them? Um, will you answer this prayer?" And it does for whatever reason. Just using that imagination of faith really does help to to pray and to imagine the heart of Jesus. One of the other things about this passage that's really pretty phenomenal is Jesus' response when it says, um, when Jesus, and hear this, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, your sons are forgiven. Now, Will, you're about to be ordained. I, I'm not answering this because I'm not <laughs> ordained. I'm making sure you answer this question. No, 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 no. no. You, you agreed to be co-host. No. Nope. So... So here it's saying Jesus is looking at their faith, and there's only there's one of two ways that you can understand their faith. Either he's looking at the faith of the four people, which in the early church, that's the way they understood this, because he, it says Jesus saw their faith, which means it's in action. It's moving. The paralyzed guy's not moving. There's nothing to see there, right? So the four guys are moving, and Jesus looks at their faith and then forgives the sin of Of the immobile one, so he he sees the faith of the plural, and forgives the sin of the one. And even if you say, okay, well, that when he says their faith, it's including the paralytic. It's not just the four guys, but it's the paralytic too. And so his sins are forgiven because he had faith too. Why does Jesus? Why does the text even mention that Jesus saw their faith? Why not say he saw the paralytic's faith and that his sins were forgiven? And that got me wondering. I'm going to save you just so this doesn't come back on you. At the I'm floor never answering this question on the recording. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But if you go through the scriptures, one of the funny things and one of the stunning things that you find is that Jesus often heals people based on the faith of others. And you, you don't think about it like that, but you think, you know, Jairus comes mm-hmm. and, you know, Jesus is going to heal someone that Jairus is concerned about because of the faith of Jairus. Or you think about the centurion who comes and says, my servant is on the verge of death. Will you heal him? And Jesus is like, oh my goodness, your faith is amazing. It's more than the faith of, you know, everyone in Israel. And he heals the servant because of the faith of the centurion. Or you think Mm -hmm. of the Syrophoenician woman who's got a daughter who's sick. And Jesus marvels at her faith. Remember when she says, you know, even... Even the dogs get the crumbs from the master's table, and Jesus looks at her, and he just finds her precious, and her faith is precious, and so he heals her daughter because of her faith, and in this situation, it says Jesus saw their faith, how zealous they were, how moved they were to get their friend before Jesus, and because he saw their faith, he gifts you know, I'm sure he gifts the, – if the person who was on the mat paralyzed didn't have faith at that moment, he's granted faith yeah. because of their faith. Like it moved Jesus' heart. And it's, it, that makes me wonder like am I zealous in my faith? When I come to plead the cause of the church and to beg for revival and to see the healing of people I love, like if Jesus is legitimately moved to heal others – because of the zeal of others' faith. Like, you know, he's not obligated to. I'm not, I'm not going down the prosperity gospel road. I think that's revolting. I hate all that. Yeah. But what do you do with these stories where you find Jesus moved because of the faith of the one person over here to the point where he heals and forgives the person over here? It's, it's pretty wild. Yeah, just even the picture of like Jesus surrounded by, like you said, 40
0: or 50 people who are just standing in that house listening to him. Not that listening to Jesus is a bad thing, but then you get this picture of they're kind of just like happy bystanders, this whole thing. Maybe they're mad that the roof's collapsing. But then the physical activity of these guys, like they could have just been like, hey, we've seen Jesus around a lot. Let's just ask him to stop by. This guy's, you know, Matt later in the day, you know, let's not interrupt him now. But it's like, I don't know, just they're confidence and just their boldness even it's like seems a little inappropriate even in some (laughs) minds but just the activity they're like no this is this is what we're gonna do yeah we love this guy enough and they're the physical like you said the activity of their faith like they they showed it and even just thinking like is that the way i bring people to jesus like Mm. would people would other people look and be like, yeah, Will is actively carrying, you know, yeah. teenagers or her, whoever it is in my life. Is his faith active enough to be seen by a guy like Jesus being like, oh, I see that. Yeah. It's active. It's flowing. You don't even have to. I'm not even going to ask you a theological
1: question. You don't have to pray the prayer. You know, just like I see it. Yeah. It's there. And where it's even uncomfortable to do so. Like, it couldn't have been very comfortable for these guys to be digging through someone else's roof. No. Yeah. <laughs> looking over their shoulder.
0: One guy's watching, probably. Make sure no one goes up
1: the staircase. Yeah, like, what's going on? Them. Yeah. <laughs> but And then the other part of this is, you know there has to be people who are in this house that are feeling pretty upset that someone is destroying their roof. <laughs> but Jesus is going to take the anger that was directed toward them And just by saying, son, your sins are forgiven, Uh (laughs) everybody then, their anger turns toward him. And beginning in verse 6, it says, now some of the scribes were sitting there and questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Um, I love when Jesus knows their thoughts beforehand. Yeah, you know, yeah, we see this a lot. Like they're they're real mad inside Jesus. About to, he's not going to let that slide, guys. <laughs> but it's, when they ask the question, "Who can forgive sins but God alone?" it's like that's a really good question. Let's think that through. <laughs> you know, this is God who's forgiving sins here, and so then immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, he said to them, "Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier?" to say to the paralytic your sins are forgiven of course you know when if you just say your sins are forgiven how can you tell you don't know it's invisible yeah. it's it's in the spiritual realm so which is easier to say your sins are forgiven which can never be verified or whatever until glory or to say rise up take up your bed and walk and so he throws that question out there it's rhetorical he doesn't even give them a chance to answer the question Then he just turns to the guy and he says, but that you may know the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And if you remember from a few podcasts ago, the son of man, that's language from from Daniel, where the ancient of days, God, the father gives a man authority to reign on heaven and earth. And that's Jesus, our Messiah. And he's saying, Hey, I am that son of man who has authority given to him by God, the father on earth to forgive sins. And so he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise. That's the language of resurrection. You've been dead. You've been dormant. You've mm-hmm. been lying down. I say to you, my word has the power to tell you, rise, be raised, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we've never seen anything like this. This an amazing story. And yeah, I think the cool, even like the supernatural
0: healing, like he, he jumped up. Like this guy, we, we don't know how long he didn't walk, but like, you know, thinking, I'm not a doctor, but there's yeah. tendons, there's muscles that have atrophied. <laughs> I mean, his bones haven't held up his you know body in a long time. I mean, just everything's perfect. Yeah. It's not just like, hey, I'm going to get you to a nice average body where maybe you can do some physical therapy, maybe some squats get you there. Then you can jump
1: up and run around later. But this guy's like, nope, picked up, walked away. Yeah, that's a really good point. So it's not just that he's taking all the neural pathways of whatever was broken in the spine or who knows. He's actually restoring and giving them strength in addition to restoring what was preventing them from feeling. That's really cool. Um, and that's what God does. He you know, He doesn't just forgive us our sins to get us back to innocent. He gives us his positive righteousness. Yeah. He blesses us with strength. That's just the way he works. Um, really, really awesome. And so here you see Jesus. Who? What is his identity? Well, he's the one who forgives sins. He's the son of man. He has authority to raise the dead. And to heal the human body. So we see that, and this all already that he's got authority over nature. He's got authority over medicine and healing. He's got authority over sins. So who is this guy? It blows my mind when you come across cults, by the way, that <laughs> deny that Jesus is God. It's like, heck, have you read the Bible? Yeah. <laughs> it's making claims that just don't work for a mere man. And so continuing on, you get to the next. So Mark is rapid firing and you get to... Um, the calling of the apostle Matthew, who's called Levi. And, and so, and verse 13, it says, He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he, he said to him, Follow me. And he, Matthew or Levi, rose and followed him. Yeah, I think, again, the cool picture is like there's a
0: crowd, and Jesus only cares about one guy. Mm-hmm. You know, the crowd is always there in Mark, it seems like, and Jesus has never given much to the crowd. It's always like, no, I have a specific purpose to be with this person right
1: now in this moment. And the crowd is just kind of standing around watching again. And it makes you wonder like, is there backstory here? Because this guy, he's just walking through, he looks at a tax collector, and he's like, hey, you, follow me. <laughs> and Matthew's like, Alright, I'm in, dropping everything, leaving my you know, lucrative career, you, you know, the massive amounts of money that tax collectors make. He walks away from all of it and follows Jesus. And so it leaves you to kind of wonder what's his backstory? You know, what did he see? What did he experience? Did he see Jesus lifting up those who had no dignity? And he's, you know, as a tax collector, you were seen as a traitor. You know, we've talked about this on other episodes. But a tax collector basically went to the Roman authorities and bid, paid money to get that office so that they could rat on everybody and tell the Roman government where the money was and collect as much money as they could. And then they would take excess money from your townspeople so that you got rich on their backs and you supported Rome, which was seen as the oppressor. And so it's again, like if you, the first story, where Jesus is in the home and they're digging through the roof, surely everybody's going to be mad at the people who are digging in the roof <laughs> until Jesus talks and says, "I forgive your sins." and then they're mad at him. Yeah. <laughs> and here they're mad at Matthew, the tax collector, until Jesus says, "Follow me." And now they're like, "You know, what kind of what kind of prophet, what kind of guy is this that he's calling tax collectors and traders? And this is what you see. He is a god who is calling the outcast. He's a god who's calling the left out and the the wounded and the weak and the poor. Yeah, I think you I think even back then they would have, you know, they had their tax
0: collector issues, but the paralytic would have been sympathetic for them. They would have been like, yeah, right on Jesus, and like I know that's forgiven sins thing was weird, but I'm glad this guy is, you know, I'm glad you healed this guy. Whereas a tax collector, no chance, no sympathy for Levi, you know, Matthew, you know, they're like, no, this guy, he stinks. We know it. You should know it, Jesus. I love the classic
1: tax collector trope. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he's, this is not somebody who would have been sympathetic to anyone. And Jesus is like, yep, you're on my team. (laughs) And I just love that. Like, he's not afraid of taking the darts from all the people who feel like they're superior to others. And so uh, what where does he go? He goes, Matthew throws a party at his house now, as a tax collector, he would have been very wealthy. He would have probably had a very, very nice residence and so the next verse says, "As he reclined at table in his house, Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Now, when tax collectors threw a party, (laughs) you didn't have a lot of people signing up to come. (laughs) You know, the Jewish people of that day would have stayed far away. They didn't want to be associated with a tax collector. And so the only people who would come to this kind of guest list is tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus is like, wonderful. (laughs) Yeah, this is my kind of party. And so they're reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when he saw... That he was eating with sinners and tax collectors said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, of course, he pipes up because (laughs) because the disciples are probably like, Uh, not answering that one. We're not sure either. (laughs) So he says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Mm. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. What do you think he means by that? It's not rhetorical. He was just but, waiting for me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's like – again, Mark, Jesus gets to his mission so fast. He's not here for, you know, as he'll call them, whitewashed tombs. He doesn't care what you look like on the outside. He's, he's here for people like the paralytic who know they have no hope of anything outside. Matthew has no hope of friendship or loyalty without Jesus
1: entering into their picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when it says he did not come to call the righteous, like the Bible has made this abundantly clear. Guess how many righteous people there are in the world? No, not one. There's (laughs) none righteous. There's none who seek after him. The prophet Isaiah talked about that. The apostle Paul is going to quote Isaiah and like emphatically say there is none righteous. No, not one. None of us have a heart to seek after God. And yet there's there's this group that walks around Israel and they feel no need of salvation because they feel, you know what? I'm good enough. You know, God is lucky to have me on his team. I'm way better than everyone else. And Jesus comes and he throws down this comment. if You know, if that's you, if you feel, you know, morally superior, what Jesus is saying is I didn't come for the righteous. If you feel like you're self-sufficient, You can't come to me because I come to the sick. And so it's not until you recognize your need of me, until you recognize that you are sick, that you can come to me. You know, it's it's like the Beatitudes where he opens up saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Hmm. He doesn't say, Blessed are the middle class in spirit (laughs) or the rich in spirit. He you know, the next one is Blessed are those who mourn. It's not, hey, blessed are those who are who are doing well, you know, who have everything together. And so Jesus is is laying down this reality all the time that the way that you come to him is through humility, a recognition that you need him, a recognition that you're broken, that apart from him, you know what, future's looking pretty bleak. Yeah, I want a scary blind
0: spot that Jesus always points out for us, because I think that is, you know, a human blind spot that we just, we want to perform, we want to do it, we want to have that pat on the back, we just want to be like, hey... You did just good enough to get yourself on this team. But Jesus is like, nope, that's a huge blind spot you guys are all walking around with. Like mm-hmm. there's no hope outside of it. And just
1: the reminder is well needed all the time. Yeah, and and one of the things that's used in religion is like you'll have people – I've heard this before that religion is all about guilt and shame. And you know the Bible is calling on you to recognize that you fall short. And the reality is that's not meant to be like, hey – you're worthless, yeah. you know you piece of garbage. <laughs> it's saying God sees you. Hmm. He, knows, he knows you're a mess. Like we spend our lives trying to hide the fact that we're a mess. We have social media accounts that are trying to hide the fact that we're a mess or that we feel depressed or that we're walking anxious, that we don't even meet our own standards. Like I'm not the husband I want to be. Jesus, the Bible is not fooled by, by us. It comes to us and diagnoses us before we have a chance to pipe up and says, you're not righteous. You know what? Like you don't measure up to God's standards. You're not perfect. I, and it's like God is saying, I see you and I know that. So stop pretending. I love you anyway. And, and it's not meant to drive you into guilt and shame. It's meant to say, hey, I see you as you are and I love you anyway. So stop pretending and just come to me. Yeah, even that statement assumes, and Jesus obviously is saying this, so he knows that
0: there is a physician. It's not like, hey, maybe if there is a physician to heal the sick, that's why I'm here. No, he's like, no, there is. It's an assumed thing. He's not wondering. He's like saying, like, you're sick. Like, come mm-hmm.
1: find healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's liberating. <laughs> yeah. You know, I remember when I first came to faith, I fell into a season of Phariseeism, and it was one of the loneliest seasons. And, I mean, of course, we're always battling Phariseeism, but like I was, I was really good at it. <laughs> <Top> <laughs> and, you know, but I was still sinning in all these ways. You know, mm. I still had addictions that I was trying to hide from everybody. And I was still falling into, you know, besetting sins that were intense. And I would stay away from community because I didn't want anyone to know that I was really yeah. a mess. And rather than taking the liberty of saying, you know what, like I know Jesus wants better from me and that he's calling me to something different. I I wanted everyone to think I was good, that I was good enough, that I had my stuff together, that I was, you know, really religious and, and high end. And what I needed most, I remember being in a class where Dr. Gage was talking about what how lonely it would be to be a Pharisee where nobody ever knows the real you because you're always pretending and putting on a show yeah. and no one can ever see your brokenness. And he started talking about how lonely a life that would be. And I had to leave the room. This is embarrassing. But I had to leave <laughs> the room, go to the bathroom. And like I was fighting back tears wow. in the bathroom stall because I was like, you're right, man. This is so lonely. Nobody knows my struggles because I'm too proud to let them in. And Jesus loves you enough, you know, that, that he comes to me and he comes to you and he says, I, You're not concealing it from me. <laughs> I see all your mess and I want you. I'm willing to die for you. I, I want to redeem you. Come to me, be honest. And the whole, you know, the church then is to be a place where we can go to people we trust who are wounded just as we are where we can be vulnerable and authentic and, and you know what, point each other to Jesus and grace and and seek healing and and to strive, honestly, from a place of grace and freedom to become more like him by the power of the Spirit. That's freedom, and it's wonderful, and I'm, you know, it's not a beating you up, driving you to guilt and shame. It's saying, I see you as you are, and I love you, so stop pretending.
0: Yeah, (laughs) and just communal nature of just these two stories back to back like the paralytic you know as awful as that would be you know he couldn't hide mm-hmm. he couldn't say no i'm i don't need a physician you know yeah. like no it was on you know display for everyone every single day as they walked by him and just like yeah he can't didn't want to hide no hey guys i'm not really paralyzed <laughs> yeah, right. you don't need to bring me to the feet of jesus there's nothing wrong with this body here no it's yeah. just like i mean just the openness must have you know not like us who can hide it it's just that was on display so there is a kind of a beauty in the scripture of saying, yeah, hey, it's it's okay That's on display in the Mm -hmm. appropriate areas, you know, all that, you know, from a generation now that overshares these teenagers, you know, there is good in that. But, you know, you don't need to hide, which is
1: a beautiful picture of it all. Yeah. And you're not alone. The Bible tells you that we're all messes. (laughs) So you're you're listening to two messes right now and, you know, there's freedom in knowing that, you know, when you think, my goodness, am I alone in the fact that I'm a mess, (laughs) you know. No, you're not. We all struggle with this thing called sin and selfishness and and it's good to know that we're all in this struggle together and we have a savior that unites us.
0: Yeah, and I think I don't know if I've ever said this anywhere, but part of me coming to faith was I was in the you know, I was raised in a Christian church, you know, great family, all of that was pointing to a Christian school. But in the 7th grade when I really felt like, "Oh, I need Jesus for me, not everyone else." I was at a youth retreat and the song that I like Seventh grade Will, like, broke down crying to where, you know, Sam Slama looked over at me like, is everything okay? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. But it was, it was a song where the words were, you don't have to hide. You don't have to hide this anymore. You don't have to face this on your own. And the whole picture of that. And that was what, like, mm. oh, hey, here I am. I don't need to perform for this. I don't need to look good to my left or my right. And so, wow, yeah, never thought about that connection.
1: Cool. Yeah, man. That's a beautiful, freeing thing. It's, and it's, it's appealing in a world where we were constantly – having to hide ourselves. Yeah. So that, and moves on. And so Jesus is going to deal with some people who are very much about religion and the law and trying to earn their righteousness. And so it says now John's disciples. So it's talking about John the Baptist. um, Andrew, for instance, before Jesus called Andrew, who's Peter's brother, Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist. And so John the Baptist had his own disciples and he began to encourage them to follow Jesus But some of them are still following John. It says, now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came to him, and they said, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? So what they're saying is, all right, if you're so religious, how come we're fasting and you're not? (laughs) And so Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they'll fast in that day. What Jesus is saying is, like you fast when you're longing for something that's not with you. Hmm. You fast when you're like, man, I can't wait for glory. I can't wait for Christ's return. I can't wait to see you know cancer and disease and hatred and sin and selfishness and all the, the ills of the world and poverty and hunger. I can't wait for that. And so... I'm going to give something up to remind my soul that Jesus is more precious than anything I could give up for his sake, right? Yeah. But yeah. if Jesus is with you, like the essence of heaven is in your midst, what are you fasting for? You have everything that you're fasting for right here in front of you, and that's what Jesus is saying.
0: Yeah, and that's what makes
1: heaven heaven, right? You know, the presence of Jesus. It's not like the absence
0: of all that stuff is going to be beautiful and glorious and wonderful, but it's the presence that changes all that.
1: Yeah, yeah. So when when you think of heaven, I used to I used to talk about this in in my classes. Like, what are you most excited about with heaven? Yeah. And inevitably, you get you know, I want to see you know relatives who've passed away. Totally understandable. I want to be without pain. I want to be without disease. I can't wait to to see what the meals or the music is like. But all of the goodness of heaven, all of it is just a reflection and an overflow of his goodness. And so he is the prize of heaven. He is the end. He's not the means to the goal or means to the end. He's the end. He's the prize. And so if you have him, you shouldn't be fasting. What are you longing for? He's the fulfillment of every longing you've ever had. And so stop it. The days are going to come, he says. When I'll be taken away. He's going to die. He's going to ascend into heaven. And we're left longing for the days when we're at heaven. Then we fast. And so he's saying, like the church today, we should be fasting. We should be longing to be with him face to face again. And so um, I I love that. And I love that he keeps, you know, we we saw this in the parables. He's constantly referring to his union with us as a wedding. He's the bridegroom. Because there's no other metaphor that can convey the kind of love and faithfulness that he has for his people. Yeah,
0: and It's almost like he's always trying to insert that he is the bridegroom here. Like it almost seems so weird that a question about fasting, he's like, no, bridegroom. Like he's always drawing <laughs> attention back to it. It's yeah. like, hey, Jesus, that's like you're kind of pushing that a little hard. You know, like you're pushing that a little too easily on us. Like it's no, you need to get this picture. Like I never realized that, you know,
1: we're in Mark 2. Pretty quickly, Jesus is like, hey, this is who I am, you know, identity of Jesus. Yeah. but it, And it's, it's, you know, like you're talking about, they're like, okay, here's the rules. And he's like, no, 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 relationship. <laughs> Here, they're like, wait, 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 fasting. And he's like, no, 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 remember who I am. It's about being with me. And he's constantly pointing people to the relationship, not the rules. And so he says, you know, people, you just don't get it because the way that Israel has worked for centuries – is rules and covenant and temples and rituals and sacrifices and, and Sabbaths and all of this stuff, which was all really good and beautiful stuff. But now Jesus has come to bring the fulfillment of all that, the the new covenant, right?
0: Mm.
1: And so he says, No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And what what do you think he means by that, Will? Will? Um, don't do much sewing, (laughs) but it makes sense. Yeah. that
0: It's a bad patch job. It's like, you know, but why do that to your tire? If you know, it's not going to fill the hole. If it's not going to fill the gap, Mm -hmm. like you can't just, it just doesn't work out. Yeah.
1: Right. So he's bringing something new and it requires an all new mindset. You can't take it and put it on the old legalistic, pharisaical, here's all the things that you need to do, because if you do, it's going to (laughs) break. It's going to rip it apart. You need an entirely new cloth, because it's an entirely new covenant. You can't earn it. There's nothing you can do. It's all by grace. And the gospel comes and shatters those that are religious. It can't work together. Um, And so he's like, no, this new cloth will tear apart the old. And then the next one, I love this even better. He says, no one puts new wine into old wine skins. So you played baseball. What happens if you leave your glove outside in the rain? (laughs) That's not what you want, especially for what you're paying for. (laughs) But like, you ever stick your hand in a glove and it's like shards of metal or something? Yeah. Where it's gotten wet before, and then it gets really rigid and stiff, and cracks apart, and all the leather begins to break. So that's what's going on here. Because the, the wine skins, they would take the the carcass of an animal. Couldn't think of a better word there. Yeah, that's what you want to drink out of. <laughs> yeah, but it, right, I know that's kind of that's kind of gross. But they would turn them into wine skins. They would fill them up with wine. But after they'd been wet and used. Just like that glove, they become hard. They become rigid. And so if you put new wine in it that ferments and bubbles and expands and the gases are pushing on it. Where else to go? Yeah. It's rigid. It it can't move with the pressure. And so it bursts. And Jesus is saying, hey, your old system of thinking (laughs) – Man, you're about to get some new wine put in you. And if you expect to be rigid to where you have to have everything figured out and God's in a box and here's a system, the gospel is going to break you. <laughs> I mean, really, is what he's getting at. You need new wineskins.
0: Yeah, you, now that you explain that to me, like, Jesus is just roasting these Pharisees. Like, he's really good at what he does. Once you realize <laughs> what he's saying, you're like, oh, wow, these guys would have understood what he's saying, that like, they wouldn't have had to think about her. No one would have explained to him, but. I had to have you explain it to me. Now I'm like,
1: well, he is, you know, he's getting after it with these guys. He's not pulling any punches. Yeah. Just about everything he does. And Mark is coming with the, the one, two punches out of the gates. Like (laughs) just about everything he does, like receiving an unclean demoniac in a synagogue (laughs) that would have been wildly scandalous touching a leper, wildly scandalous declaring forgiveness of sins. Like all of these things that he's doing, is intentionally showing people, like, I don't fit in your box, and yet I'm claiming all of the authority of God himself. What are you going to do with me? And it's, (laughs) they don't know what to do with them, because they're old wineskins, and he is breaking them at the (laughs) seams. They don't know how to, they don't know how to manage this. Yeah, Barks is like a, Greatest Hits album. There's no break <laughs> in between. There's it's no true. song
0: to take off. It's like you, we hit the paralytic, then we got a tax collector, then we got you know the fasting question, then we're headed to the Sabbath. Like he's bam, not bam. taking any breaks.
1: <laughs> yeah, here we go. It really does feel like – I think I'm talking faster through yeah, yeah. Too. <laughs> All right. So we get to verse 23. We're making good progress here. And it says one Sabbath. So again, the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a wonderful thing. It's the fourth commandment, right? God says that, you know, he worked for six days and on the seventh day he rested. He enjoyed all of his work. He looked back and marveled over creation. He enjoyed the fact that it was made very good. Mm -hmm. And when he gives the commandment of the Sabbath, it's a wonderful thing. You know, if if you think about the roots of the Sabbath, it comes when the Israelites are freed from slavery. They've been in Egypt where for 400 years under slavery, guess what? They woke up every day of the week Mm -hmm. and they went to work. They never had rest. You didn't go to your taskmaster or Pharaoh and say, you know what? I'm tired today. I think I'm calling in. <laughs> like you never had rest. And so when God is leaving, leading the people of Israel, he says, I want you to pause one day a week where you're not allowed to work, where I want you to understand where Pharaoh – your only value to Pharaoh was you busting your hump to hmm. prove yourself and work and produce something – When God gives a command for the Sabbath, what is he telling us? He's saying, your value in my sight is you. I want you to stop working. I don't want you to produce anything. I just want you to be with me.
0: Wow, yeah. He he loves us when we rest.
1: Yeah. It's a non-performative, not,
0: hey, you got to do it again and again and again. He's like, no. And he he made that, you know, the creation picture, you know. It's not like God needed to rest on the seventh day. No, he's putting that into it right at the beginning for us,
1: Mm -hmm. for our good, for our pleasure. Yeah, It's, it's an enjoyment. So God on the seventh day, he rests and he enjoys everything that he's done. What he's calling us to do with the Sabbath is to stop from our labor, stop from our trying to earn our identity and our value and everything else and just meditate on where our value really comes from. And that's him. It's the fact that we're in a relationship with him that makes us valuable, Mm. eternally valuable. And so the Sabbath, when it was first given to the nation of Israel, was this demonstration of God saying to the people, you are valuable to me because – you're mine. Hmm. I want to be with you. And so what do the people do with it? They take the Sabbath (laughs) and they make it a rule and they make it another way by which we have to earn God. And they were like fanatical in the first (laughs) century about the Sabbath. Like you weren't allowed to to tie knots or untie knots. You weren't allowed to start fires. You weren't allowed to put out fires. You weren't allowed to spit on the ground because it might water plants to grow. Like, (laughs) really like ridiculous things. You're not allowed to carry things with your hands, but you can carry them with the back of your hands. Like It was really absurd, all the laws that they attached to it. And so Jesus will repeatedly annoy the Pharisees (laughs) by doing things on the Sabbath. And here's one of them. It says, one Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields. So they're walking along the countryside. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And so This isn't stealing. This is not their land. But in the Old Testament law, you're allowed to take the grain from the fringes of the land and eat on it. So this is a custom. They're not stealing. They're doing what everybody did. And the Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath? So can you imagine being that uptight to where when you're walking through a field (laughs) – you pluck a piece of grain and put it in your mouth, and they're like, oh, they're working! They're violating the Sabbath! And they were very sincere about it. Like, this was one of the ways that they wanted to show their faithfulness to God. And so what does Jesus say? So the same, same reason, like, when they come and they're getting after the disciples because they don't fast, Jesus is like, stop. You're making this all about rules. The bridegroom is with them. And he, like, breaks up their old wineskin. skin. And here it's, he says, have you never read what David did? And so it's like he's taking the religious to task for their failure to understand the Bible, (laughs) which again, is like one, two, one, two punch. Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with them, how they entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and they ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for anyone but the priest to eat. And also gave it to those who were with him. And you're like, whoa, hang on a minute. And so Jesus said to them, this really powerful line, he said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. And so when when, when you have Jesus talking about Abiathar, the, the high priest, there's a story in the Old Testament when David is running away from Saul, just to give you context for what he's talking about, David is running away from Saul. Saul wants to kill him. Jonathan kind of gives David the word like, hey, my dad, the king, is still trying to kill you because he's jealous of you. Mm. And so David runs away, but he goes to one of the places where the priests were. And this priest had bread that had been in the presence, like worshipped bread, table of show bread kind of stuff, really holy and consecrated. And it's about to be replaced with fresh bread. And David goes and says, hey, we're on the run. We're really hungry. Is there any chance that you could give us that bread? And so the the priest, who's actually Abiathar's father, they co-reigned as priests most likely. Um, He says, sure. And he gives David the bread and ate it. But in the Old Testament, there was a law that said that bread was to be set aside just for the priest or the the tribe of Levi especially. And David is not a priest. He's from the tribe of Judah. And yet what the, the Old Testament principle is, is Look, the bread was for the priest, but the priests were able to use it for ministry and emergencies. And so God had extended that sort of, of liberty of the priest to take care of those that were in crisis, right? And so that's what Jesus is pointing out here. He's like, man, you're taking the law of God, which is supposed to be for the blessing of man, and you're using it as a weapon to beat them with. Like, no. Mm-hmm. The Sabbath was made for man to give him rest, to show him dignity, to give him time with the Lord, to bless him. Man was not made for the Sabbath so that it could beat him and oppress him and and make him feel lesser than. And so Jesus, again, is going after their religiosity and their misunderstanding of the purpose of the law.
0: Yeah, just so funny. Our human nature wants to take all the good and just make it so crushing to us. Like we want to take the good rest of God and just say, nope, I, I can't do it. I didn't earn it this week. Like I got to keep pushing, got to keep pounding, got to keep you know hitting the pavement with it. And he's like, no, just stop it. Mm-hmm. And even when we were talking about the Sabbath, like as we drove through Israel, the eeriest day was driving through the Jewish quarter on the Sabbath. Yeah. It looked like Yeah, it looked like a horror that. movie Like because no one was around. <laughs> you're like, are we okay? Like is this a good place to be in town?
1: They're not happy with you no. either that you're not abiding by the Sabbath either. Oh, you feel it. So when we were driving through on the Sabbath, I think it was through Tiberius, yeah. up near Galilee, and it was on the Sabbath day, and it was like, like you said, it, it looked like a movie. There was no one on the streets, like and there was maybe a couple people walking that we saw as we drove through the whole town. And the tour guide was telling us if you were out doing something or playing music, you would get like death stares. They would yeah. you would be shamed, you know, to where you wanted to just curl up and die. Because they took that. And so that's still happening in some places in Israel. And it's just its so fascinating how the law, which was meant to be a blessing to us. You know, of course, we're broken and so the law reveals how we fall short. But the law was meant to be a blessing. Like imagine if we kept the Ten Commandments, you know, don't kill people, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, you know. Like those that would be a good society we would want to live in there yeah. but instead we take the law and especially in this era they would they would dissect the law in such a way to where it became abusive to the people. you know we talked about it at the beginning of this podcast episode um, where these men bring the paralytic to Jesus and when I, I was thinking about that particular story and just how kind Jesus is, and one of my favorite stories in church history, and I forgot to mention it earlier, but I'll I'll maybe close with this just because I love this so much. Uh, St. Augustine uh, was probably the most influential person who's existed in the history of the church outside of Jesus and the apostles. Like He was wildly influential um, 400 years after Jesus' ministry. But he was born to a Christian mom and a dad who was a pagan and he decided early on in his life because he had a sex addiction, he was very worldly, um, that he wanted to find a different philosophy, a different way to live. And so he actually moved to Milan in Italy and there he fell into a pagan cult called the Manichees and Monica, his mother, very famous, chased him, <laughs> you know, like – This is almost almost like helicopter parent of the 5th century, right? So she chases him from her home, goes to Milan, and finds the bishop of Milan, who's a very famous man named Ambrose. And she goes in, and the tradition is that she would go into Ambrose all the time, like every day, every other day, every week. And she would just be absolutely distraught that her son didn't know the Lord, that he was falling into all kinds of vices, that he was... Committing all kinds of sin with so many women and all kinds of other vices. And so she was pleading with Ambrose, please pray for my son, pray for his salvation, pray that, you know, the Lord would grab hold of him. And eventually he got so overwhelmed <laughs> by by how often she was demanding meetings with him and wanting prayer that eventually I can, as a pastor, we can relate, yeah. right? It's like, all right, lady, enough. <laughs> Whatever you want. But he said something very famous to her that's in like every church history book ever written. He looks at Monica as the bishop of the the early church and he he just says, look, lady, like, it is impossible that the son of so many tears should perish. Like, the Lord looks at your zeal, your faith, your tears and he's just like, it's impossible. God God won't ignore that. And mm-hmm. so you read that in church history, and sure enough, not long after that, Augustine came to faith, supernaturally so, and he became one of the most influential people in the history of the church, and still to this day is influential. He's largely responsible for the Reformation um, and, and all of the, the fruits that come from that that came about a thousand years after him. I love that idea. That God looks at the faith of those who come before Him pleading for the healing and the salvation of others that God's heart has moved. And Augustine is such a beautiful example of that. Um, and Monica is such a great example for us to be praying for those in our lives to really, you know, imagine putting on our mats and lowering into the presence of the Lord, you know, those that don't know Him those in our families, those that are sick, you know, the church in general in America, which let's be honest, the church has seen better days in America, um, that, that God would raise her and, and give a fire in her belly and a zeal to be to, to make him famous, to be humble, to to be lowly in our own eyes and to lift him up. Um, but to have that heart of Monica where we would just appeal to the Lord again and again to where, you know, Ambrose could look at our prayer life and say, it's impossible Mm. that people of so many tears and such passion, it's impossible that our sons or our prayer requests would perish. Um, I just love that. So we're going to let that stand as our last word today. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. I hope the technology is halfway decent. Hope you hear this. (laughs) Who knows if we hit record? Yeah, right. That's that's actually a concern right now. Because when I play it back, I'm not hearing volume right now, so this, this, this will be great. <laughs> Mark, we, we hope you get better soon. Please. <laughs> my, my legs are tired, and I think my back is starting yeah. to hurt from leaning into the microphone. I'm exhausted. <laughs> oh, millennial. Anyway. Hey. <laughs> Just, teasing. Just teasing. Just teasing.
0: Well, yeah. it was good to be with you in 2022. I'll see you in 2023 you. for our annual, <laughs> annual
1: <right>. podcast. <laughs> Hey man, thanks for filling in. I appreciate it. All right, so we hope you have a blessed week. you can join us on Sunday for nine o'clock and eleven o'clock worship. We would love to see you there. Uh we would like if you would subscribe to the podcast. It's on Apple and Spotify. I can't remember Mark's Mark Spiel, but Apple, Spotify, Google Play. It's you can get it on the website or the Rio Vista Church app. Um and also give us a good rating because that really does help. Um for people to find it, I've noticed that like we haven't had a lot of ratings climbs <laughs> recently. So if you have not done that and you're on a platform that allows for a rating, we would appreciate it. Um, again, thanks so much for listening. You make it possible. I've told Mark before that even if it were just us recording and we had no listeners, I would still want to do it because it's just fun to talk about Jesus. Mm. But I am grateful that there are people out there who listen, and I hope it's a blessing to you. God bless. Have a good week.
0: You're welcome, Mark